Today we're gonna, I'm going to teach a lesson I've never taught in 14 years of ministry. Never spoken in a Bible study, Sunday school class, or sermon on this. So it could be really bad. Uh, uh, but uh, I've never talked about end time stuff. And so today is going to be the inaugural time of end times things. Some of you are going, end times. Jared, I came to church on Memorial Day and you're going to hit me with that. Um, no, it's going to be it's going to be fun. It's going to be good stuff. But we're going to talk about end time stuff. And it's kind of one of those ideas and one of those things that people are like, I have questions. I don't really know. One time I watched a video with Kirk Cameron in it. It was kind of really weird. And uh, others are, you know, you think all kinds of different stuff um, about it. You know, society supplies where, where we don't speak truth and love into things. Society will make their own theology about. And so we get movies like the book of Eli or you get the walking dead or you get some other kind of zombie thing going on and you get all this um, stuff and you go, what, what is, what is really, what is the Bible talking about? What, what is going on here? And, so we're going to take a moment today and kind of step into that, try to shine some light into an area that may be a little confusing or you've just ignored your whole life because you didn't understand it. Um, try to really break it down for you. You may totally, totally, totally disagree with the angle in which I take on end time stuff today. You may go, that's not what I've learned in my life. That's not how I read the Bible. That's not anything. I hope that we can have a conversation about that. Um, what you're going to find out very quickly with me in end times things is this simple point. We should be far more interested in how we are living now than the mechanics of the end. We should be far more interested in how we're living now than the mechanics of the end. And this is why you don't hear me speaking on it very Well, you've never heard me speak on it because I never do. Um, and I feel this is the way Jesus answers the question too. But we're going to delve into this because it does matter. It does ha have weight. It helps us answer some questions. It helps us understand what's going on. And there is a whole book of the Bible, Revelation, all about uh, the end times and to try to peek into it and the truth that it's trying to teach us. Okay? So we're in a series called This I Believe. And we've talked about issues ranging from uh, God, to the Bible, to the Holy Spirit, to uh, how to share your faith without being creepy. Uh, and today we're talking about end times. What we believe matters. What we believe dictates how we act and how we dictate, or how we act dictates how others see us. What we believe dictates how we act and how we act dictates how others see us. And this is true for end times things as well. Uh, we all, some of us have seen uh, maybe the movie uh, depictions of the angry preacher guy yelling on the corner, the end is here, uh, and, and repent, and all these things. Repenting is a good thing, and it is something that needs to happen. But we've all, you know, we've seen cultural ramifications of, of what that means, and what, where's the truth, and what, what does it look like, and what does the Bible actually teach? So some questions should be popping up in your, in your mind about um, these things. So as we delve into that today, why... Does the end times matter? Why? It matters because there will be an end. It matters because there will be an end. At some point, there will be an end. Number two, the last judgment will happen. What that means is at some point, Jesus will judge the left, these people, and the right, these people, and you get to go to heaven, you're going to hell. 
That will happen, and that matters. Number three, people matter to God. So if that last judgment is going to happen, if there's going to be a separation of the goats and the sheep found in, in as, Matt, as uh, the Gospel of Matthew talks about, that separation is going to happen. That means someone's going to internal punishment. And people matter to God. And so therefore, they should matter to us. And therefore, the end matters. In Jesus' time, the end times meant something. Uh, especially to Jewish people, to put this all in context. We've made end times stuff on this side. We, uh, we like to make end times things and, and look through our present cultural microscope. What does this mean? Who was Hitler? Uh, is this the Antichrist? Is this this? And this, this? We try to put all these uh, puzzle pieces back together on our side. But what happens if we take a step back and look at what's going on in the scripture? Because end times stuff is extremely popular idea of talking. Like, this is what people talked about all the time. This is how the denominations are formed. Basically, the Jewish denominations are formed as how do they struggle? How do they deal with what's going on in end times? And so for Jesus's day, he's always dodging questions about the end times. He's always giving them non-answers. He's always flipping the script. He's always saying, you ask me this, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask it with this question. And like, but that's not what we asked. I want you to prove my point for me, Jesus. Can you do that, please? And he's like, no, 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 no. He doesn't do that. And so he, over and over and over again, he just makes people frustrated with him, um, which is, I think that was Jesus' spiritual gift. Um, but that's what, what he does over and over and over again, uh, because what he keeps on doing when anybody asks him these questions about the end is he turns it back to, well, let me tell you how to love your neighbor. Well, let me how to tell you how to forgive. Let me, let me tell you how to show mercy. No, 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 that, that's, I don't know if you, I don't know if you heard me, Jesus, but that's not what I asked. No, let me tell you about love. Over and over and over and over again, that's what he brings up. And so for me, my takeaway is we, we should be far more interested in how we are living now than the mechanics of the end. See, the Pharisees are talking about how they deal with end time stuff. How they deal with uh, what's going on is the Pharisees, if you've read the scriptures at all, you, you hear this weird word, the Pharisees, all the time. They're trying to protect themselves in the end times by building these extra rules around the law, which is the, the, the first five books of the Bible. So they just continue to build extra rules because if I don't break that rule, then there's no way I'm going to break the real important rules and I'll be okay for uh, the end time stuff. And the Sadducees are like, ah, it doesn't matter. We're the chosen people. We're, gonna, we're gonna just going to make as much money and live as nicely as we can here. And uh, there we go. The Essenes are all about the last... Uh, the last days stuff and they go and hide in caves and kind of have these weird prophecy stuffs in caves and say, we're just going to seclude ourselves from everybody else. And that's their reaction. The zealots are like, you know what? We're just going to start. Uh, we're going to bring God's kingdom here and we're going to start terrorist activity and start killing people. So these are your four choices and what you have if, as a Jewish person and figuring out what uh, in, in Israel, what in time stuff, which is very interesting because the Jews that live all over the world, they don't, live in this like vacuum of Israel and they develop a different kind of end times uh, stuff. But this is the, the context in which Jesus is talking into. And so he's got these four political denomination type factions always asking him questions and his responses to all these, he knows that all four of them want his support, right? All four of them are vying for his attention. All four of them are like, well, if he would just like give them us, us their stamp of approval, then we, would, we could win the day and this our way is the best way. And so he always switches 
the narrative and brings it back to love and caring for people, forgiving people, taking care of the poor. We should be far more interested in how we are living now than the mechanics of the end. So why does it matter? It matters because there will be an end. It matters because there will be an end. In the Jewish narrative, in the Bible, there is a section called the prophets. After Psalms and Proverbs, if I can get there, about this chunk is all the prophets. Over and over and over again, it's the prophets are called to say, repent, you're going to get destroyed because you're acting stupid. Now, I've just paraphrased like 16 different prophecies, but that's the gist of all of it is repent, you're being stupid and and worshiping other gods. Stop it, because if you don't, some other country's going to come in and they're going to whoop you and they're going to destroy you. And that's what, what happens over and over and over again. So when Jesus comes, they're expecting this guy to start saying, repent. Because you're going to be destroyed. Well, the Romans are right here, and they're doing a pretty good job of destroying us and taking away our culture and all this stuff. So what are you going to say? And so the Pharisees say, repent and get back to the laws, and then God will save us. And you see how that's starting to have these, these, these implications everywhere. And Jesus says, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so everyone's ears perk up. What does this mean? What does that look like? What, what's going on? And then he immediately, every time he says that, he goes into a teaching about what that means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. So they expect it and they want it to be, oh, Jesus is going to get on his white charger horse, going to get his sword out. He's going to kick butt and take names. He's going to go all Maximus on us. Braveheart, no. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. The kingdom of heaven is near. And what that means is, blessed are the poor, blessed are the persecuted. We're going to love people. That sits kind of weird with people because that's not what they're expecting. It's not even what they've heard in all these prophets. So Jesus speaks to it. They're asking these questions. This is at the end of uh, Jesus' ministry, right around the triumphant... I always want to say triumphant infantry. That is not correct. The triumphant entry... um, and Jesus, they're asking the end times questions again, because they're hoping he's going to say, here we go, boys, it's go time. And he says, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. No one knows. I don't even know. Jesus, as a person of the Trinity, as I do not have that revealed to me. I do not know. No one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels who are partying in heaven with God, and not even the Son, me, who is God, don't even know. Only the Father knows. So if you hear somebody go, you know what? The world's going to come to end on February 7th, 2018. It's not going to be it. Because God's like, well, nope. No one knows the time or the place, right? It's not going to be ha- not going to happen. It's it's a guarantee that no one knows the time or the place. So it's one of these things where um, the end's going to happen. We know by science that at some point the sun will will cease to exist. It will blow up or do whatever happens, and the sun will change and it will go away. That's like five billion years from now. So I think we got a day or two, but we don't know. We don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know a day, but we know at some point the sun will cease to exist. So that an end will happen. That's guaranteed. Now, sometime between now and 
umpteen billion years from now, there could be Christ comes back. Well, it will happen and it's over. He could choose to use the sun ceasing to exist. He could choose to use all kinds of different uh, other things in life. But what we know is an end will happen. It's promised. But no one knows the time or the place. Not even the angels, not even the sun. But it'll happen. We can spend all kinds of energy wondering, is today the day? Is today the day? Is today the day? We can hope for it. We can be scared of it. We can do all kinds of stuff. We can spend all, have all kinds of anxiety-driven dreams and thoughts and uh, ideas about this. Or we can be far more interested in the way we're living than the mechanics of the end. It matters because the last judgment will happen. And I've already talked a little bit about this, but Matthew 25, there's this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful and haunting scripture. And I want you to read that on your own this week. But Matthew 25 is the separation of the goats and the sheep, specifically verse 31 to 46. But it starts out like this. But when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me and I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it for the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me drink. I was stranger and you did not invite me in to your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry, thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. We gloss over this. We go fast. We don't want to deal with the judgment stuff. We want to get back to the love things, right? But this is reality. The last judgment will happen. And when Jesus is doing his biggest teaching on end time stuff, on the, on the last judgment, on an eternal, what it's, what it's going to look like, what is he concerned with? You should be far more interested and how you're living than the mechanics of the end. We want to focus, it makes us, we want to focus on how that all works and what, what is this happening? But what Jesus is in there said, no, how's your heart? How are you living this faith out? What are you doing? You can have all the answers, but still be with the goats. We should be far more interested in how we're living than the mechanics of the end. It matters. Oh, come to find out, if you read Matthew, see, who he's speaking to are Jewish people who all think they're sheep. They think they're all chosen ones. They think they're all going to heaven. 
And this is the, the moment when you ask the question, how could the crowd go from singing his praises, saying, Hosanna, 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 and throwing like a, a huge party for Jesus coming in on the donkey to going to saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him on Friday. It's this. It's this that make him so mad. How can you tell me these things? I'm chosen. I'm okay. I'm safe. And they'll go away. I mean, this is way, not a way to win friends and influence people. This is not on, on, on Dave Carnegie's or whatever uh, way of doing that. And they will go away into eternal punishment, and the righteous will go into eternal life. They had to haunt some people, to shake them to their core. This isn't what I thought you were going to say. It matters because people matter to God. God will stop at nothing to have relationship with you. God will stop at nothing to have relationship with you. He came to earth and sacrificed himself to have relationship, to restore the relationship with you. And so if he's going to go to that length, he will stop at nothing to have relationship with you. He does not want you to go to hell. Some of us, our default is God wants to judge me. God wants to send me there. I tell you what, there's... The Jesus I read about in the scripture in this last judgment is going to be brokenhearted over the ones he says, you didn't, you didn't do it. I've given you as much chance as I possibly can. But there, the eternal punishment is a reality. Judgment is a reality. And God doesn't want any of them to go to hell. John three sixteen to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We get that. We've seen it everywhere. But read on. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Like so often we get, we have this idea of angry God at us. He just wants to destroy us. He wants to, he has, doesn't have good stuff for us. But he says, no, no, I didn't send my son so that you will be punished and be, and be tormented. I sent my son so you could be saved. Because I want the best for you. I want you to be with me. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. It's the reality. It's important because people are important to God. And as people who get to live out the kingdom of God here on earth, we should do everything in our power to lead people to Jesus. End times are important because it's a reality. The judgment's a reality. So I'm going to take you through a brief examination of two major different ways of looking at end times. Okay, There's two major ways of looking at, at end times, and I want to kind of just give you a foundation on both. And tell, I will tell you actually what I believe. I won't give, leave you with a non-answer. Um, but uh, I want to give you a, a quick education on, on the two prevailing thoughts on end time stuff. And then everything else that we hear and we see and we look are kind of um, subsets of, of these two major looks. Okay. And so we're going to get a little nitty gritty into that. But I hope this kind of just illuminates you a little bit. The first is, uh, well, there's two different thoughts, and one is uh, premillennial, and the second is non-millennial, or amillennial, um, but premillennial or amillennial. I know some of you are spellers, and you have to, for your notes, have to have it exactly right, so we'll leave that up there. 
You have no idea how many times I had to change that in spell check this week. Uh, so uh, premillennial and amillennial, or nonmillennial if you, if you uh, prefer. The ideas of what's going to happen at end times pretty much stem from one passage in Revelations, Revelation chapter 20. The, the, the distinction, the, the frustration, the angst, the uh, mean preaching, all of it comes from this one chapter and Revelation, Revelation chapter 20. And so how we interpret, how you look at Revelation 20 dictates how you look at if you're a premillennial or an amillennial. It kind of, kind of flows out of that. And then some other verses go out of this. If you study in times all the time, you're going to say, you are so making this too easy. I am making it easy because if you've already studied it, then you've already studied it. This is more for people who've never looked at end time stuff. Okay. So don't get mad at me. I'm just trying to help. Um, Revelation 20 says this, I saw thrones on which, been, on which were seated those who had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received a mark on their foreheads or, or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This was the first resurrection. Okay, so the important part that, that separates people, that people think differently about, is the thousand years. So you can underline the thousand years if you'd like. But this is what the crux of the matter. How do I interpret this idea of the thousand years? Premillennial means before the thousand years. And amillennial means, well, the thousand years is happening right now. Or nonmillennial, there's not going to be a thousand year reign of Christ. We're actually in it now. It was symbolic. It is symbolic with the Holy Spirit here with us. Okay, so those are the two grossly simplified differences here on this. But in premillennial, I'll give you very, very simple, okay? Um, is the thousand years will happen in the future after all the signs have happened. And this is where you get people looking like, was this the Antichrist? Is this is this this? Is that that? Okay, in, in Revelation, because it's so symbolic, and I'm taking it literally, how do I figure out all these things out? And how are they clicking in place and, and working together? Which is a lot of work. Um, this is a very literal interpretation of Revelation. The problem with that is Revelation is a very symbolic book. It is by definition, it is a dream that uh, in vision that John has had that he's writing down. So um, there, you've got to make a judgment call on yourself and pray through it. Am I supposed to take Revelation? literally, or am I supposed to take it symbolically? And that's up to you and how you interpret this. Because at the end of the day, one of the major reasons I don't talk about end time stuff is your salvation is not dependent on your view of end times. Your salvation is dependent on your belief that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Okay? So um, whether you agree with me in premillennial or amillennial or nonmillennial or pre-trib, post-trib, here a trib, there a trib, everywhere a trib, trib, that doesn't matter if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Do we, we understand that? Okay. So this is all secondary stuff. Um, so if you're confused, that's okay. Um, it's, this is not going to be on the test. <laughs> right? this, this won't be on the test. This is uh, extra stuff. But I wanted to, to, because people have so many questions about it, I wanted to, to look at it. So back to premillennialism. Um, very literal interpretation of Revelation in a very symbolic book. When Christ comes back, he will set up his kingdom and set up a thousand-year reign. At that time, Satan will be bound in chains for a thousand years. After the thousand years is over, he will be released. 
As you can imagine, that will cause all kinds of chaos. And so in that chaos, there's going to be all kinds of battles and hoo-hahs and all kinds of weird stuff going on. Um, then there, there will, and, so, and then at the end of that chaos and that havoc, Christ will come again, and that's when the last judgment will happen. That's simple premillennial thought. There are two different resurrections, uh, one of the dead, of the martyrs, uh, before the thousand year, uh, years, and they will get to rule with Jesus for the thousand years, and a second one uh, for everyone else after the final judgment, or with the final judgment. That is grossly simplified premillennial thought. Um, the premillennial pre-tribulation is where you get the Left Behind series, which is a very, very um, new way of thinking about um, end times. It hasn't been around it very long comparatively. Premillennial and all millennial has been around since about 200, 300 AD, um, where church fathers were arguing over this. So if you want to argue about it, we're in good company. We've been arguing about it for 2,000 years. Um, post or pre-millennial pre-tribulation left behind stuff's been around since about 1880 two guys named um Schofield and Darby they came up with that idea uh, in how they're reading the scripture um but that's really 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 popular way of thought in the United States it's a really popular way a way of thought in the United States um so we come in contact with it that's we the left behind series did a lot to um um, push this thought because that's that's where where it, it comes from. The whole um, some of the rapture stuff that you see on on TV uh, is a is an amalgamation of this. Like what happens when people just all of a sudden disappear and they're gone? Um, there's been TV shows over TV shows that are that kind of they they play with this idea and this thought thought, thought process. Um, so I understand where you're coming from. If, that, if that's what you've been raised with, that's where you go from. That's not what the Church of God Anderson teaches. Um, that's not what I, I teach. Um, as if you've been here for more than one time, you know that because um, if you're pre-millennial, uh, pre-tribulation, it's a lot more uh, talked about in the church services. Anyway, so uh, there's that. Once again, it's not a salvation issue. It's not going to be on the test. It's a secondary issue. So how you deal with uh, end times things is, is dealing with how does this all work? It actually is a very, um, how we, we have formed end times things is how do we deal with evil still being in the world? If Christ is victorious, how does that all work? That's what end time stuff is actually useful for, okay? And so and that's, the, that's the heart question that's actually answering. We get caught up in the minutia of it, but that's what it's actually answering. So, Jared, what do you believe? What are we supposed to believe? I will not answer what you are supposed to believe. I will answer what I uh, believe, okay? Uh, well, actually, I'll answer. You should be far more interested in how we're living than the mechanics of the end. <clears throat> so, but I will. I, I had a, my favorite, my pastor, my mentor, um, he wanted to hire me. There's a story about this book. He wanted to hire me as a campus pastor of the, the, the church, and the church was going to... Uh, have a church plant about five miles away and I met with him with lunch and I was like, okay, this whole in, in Georgia end time stuff is a big deal. Okay. It's not so much around here, but you can't shake a stick at anybody without talking about end times things somewhere. And so, uh, pastor, there's a problem. If we, we can't come to a, a conclusion here, we're going to have a problem. Me teaching your messages, me working with you, you teaching my messages, we're going to have an impasse. So what do you think about end time stuff? And he gets real quiet. He goes, I think I'm a millennial. Like, he's going to get shot in Woodstock, Georgia, for, uh, for being all millennial. Uh, it was hilarious. Uh, but um, 
So that idea, you know, that kind of scarred my, my I don't want to tell about what I might, if Pastor Chuck was scared and he ain't scared of nobody, then I got to be really scared. But amillennial, this is the other viewpoint. Premillennial, amillennial. Um, what does that mean? This focuses on when it all happens. Um, believe Jesus comes back, but when that happens, the righteous dead will be raised, the righteous alive on earth will be sep- uh, will separated and judged right then. It's a one-time thing. It happens. We're done. We don't have, we're in, we don't have another millennium. We don't have another chaining. We don't have another resurrection of the dead. We don't have another. It's one time done. It's a lot simpler. Okay. If you, if you even Google premillennial, amillennial, the amillennial thing is about this big. Premillennial is like 18 pages of stuff. So it's amillennial is like, eh, it's one time we're done. That's the very, very, very simple way of dealing with the whole issue. Let me uh, talk about it a little bit more. It's a very symbolic way of looking at Revelation, that you take Revelation as a bunch of symbols. Uh, there's a symbol of this, a symbol of this, a symbol of that. This is uh, predominantly the church fathers thought this way. A Catholic church thought this way. Augustine, one of the most famous uh, and influential theologians of all time, uh, thought this way. Luther and Calvin thought this way. The reformers thought this way. Almost predominantly people thought this way, but there are very, very strong cases um, early on of church fathers who also thought premillennial way. Uh, but amillennial for thousands of years was the predominant way of thought. Going back to the thousand-year reign, if premillennial believing that the thousand-year reign is going to happen in the future, amillennial believes that the thousand-year reign started when Jesus came back <clears throat> from the dead and the Holy Spirit came and resided with us. That is a symbolic time of the church being the church because it is the body and bride of Christ and that we are doing uh, that thousand-year reign right now. And so at the end of that symbolic time period is when Christ will come back for the final judgment and then it will all be over. Okay, can I get a head rattle if that makes sense or not? Okay. Um, you guys are like, what is happening? Um, but that's, that is the, the simple, simple, simple all-millennial way of thinking about it. Why is there... Why do I have that thought? Because if I look at in Scripture and I read Revelation and I know I also read Scripture and see it, I also have to see what's going on at that time. Revelation is written in the wake of A.D. 66 and AD, to A.D. 70. What the heck happened to A.D. 66 and A.D. 70? The destruction of the Temple of Israel, the invasion of militarily invasion of Israel, the destruction of the people, Basically, the biggest Jewish Holocaust until the Jewish Holocaust of, of 1940s happened in AD 66 to AD 70. And so if you are a writer writing to predominantly a Jewish people, you're thinking, we have to deal with this issue in some way. We have to dive into it in some way. We have to make sense of it in some way. I have to offer hope in some way. And so God pens Revelation through John's uh, through John's pen to say, I haven't given up on you. This is how it's all going to work. I still win in the end. This is what it looks like. And so if you see the battles of this person and all these different symbols, they can, most of them can very, be very easily attributed to different things that the Romans did, the destruction of the temple. Can you imagine? Your whole faith is, even if you're a Christian and you're, you're buying into the whole Jesus thing, the temple is the temple. 
It's been the center of our faith for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. That's where it all happens. That's how we've gotten close to God. That's how I've gotten clean. That's how I've gotten to know that I'm a chosen person of God. And that is destroyed. And so in Revelation, John is speaking directly into that and saying there's, there's going to be a, it, we're switching the narrative. We're, we're making it, we're different. And so that is, uh, and that's, that's how the church fathers um, and disciples kind of uh, interpreted that and how that all worked out. So that's what I, I attribute myself more to an all-millennial uh, point of view. Out of all-millennial um, comes this idea of post-millennial. And it is, comes from some of uh, Calvin's writings and uh, some other people underneath John Calvin's writing, one of the reformers. Now this is a very interesting ideas, ideas um, and it very shaped, and why I talk about it is because it shaped America more than pretty much any other uh, theological thought. It's this idea that we're getting better. That if we're, if we're in the thousand year reign of Christ, that we're going to continue to get better. We're going to get better. We're going to get better. We're going to get better. The Puritans were post-millennial. That we're going to get better. And at some point through Christian education, through Sunday school, through uh, Christians becoming politicians and, and leading the, the country in the right way, we will get to a place where the literal kingdom of God is here on earth. And that's, that was the predominant thought. And we have to thank these people for the abolition, abol- getting rid of slavery. I can't say, uh, but they're, they're prim- predominantly the people who helped get rid of slavery. They are the people who, got, who did teetotaling. They're the people who kept on pushing and pushing for, for a better ethic. Because if we're a people, they're going to continue to get better and continue to get better and continue to get better, then we're going to get better. Right? Small little problem with this plan. There's a little thing called World War I and a little thing called World War II that drastically shaped people going, wait, if this is heaven on earth, I don't know how Satan can be bound. These are the questions. I don't know how Satan can be bound if all these people are dying in the Holocaust or whatever. And so it started to shape these different theological arguments and theological things. And out of that answer to the question, how could Hitler exist? How could World War II happen? Starts these different the- theological conversations of end time stuff. And so that's where uh, that comes from. So post, uh, post-millennials actually has decreased in thought process a lot since World War II, especially in America. Uh, because of that, amillennial is still very strong, um, and premillennial is still very strong. Uh, but postmillennial kind of went woo after those big wars because their answer was, "We're getting better. We're getting better. We're getting better." And then we are not getting better. Uh, so uh, that was that was an issue there. As I conclude today, I got a very history lesson on you there, right? But as I conclude today, I, I, we need to come back to the thought that we have to be far more interested in how we're living now than the mechanics of the end. We have to be far more interested in how we are living right now than the mechanics of the end. If you want to have a talk, you want to have a debate about this stuff, I have friends who are like, oh, Jared, I love debating end time stuff. I was like, no, I don't. I don't enjoy it. I will do it with you if you want to explore that. I don't want to debate. I'll just talk to you. Um, but I just, I want to be way more concerned with how we are living. How, what's our fruit look like? Because when I read John 15, and Jesus talks about, he says, if you don't bear fruit, then I will cut you off and throw you into a fire. I take that very seriously. He's talking about, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you don't produce good stuff, you get cut off and you get thrown away. 
And as I live my life and as I look at that, I'm not concerned with how hot is that fire going to be? I want to make sure I'm nowhere near the fire. How do I get miracle grow on my branches so I am producing a lot and a lot and a lot of fruit? That's what I'm concerned with. Uh, I'd like to give you some tools to explore on your own, just so you're not checking out Wikipedia for end time stuff. Some of you have already Googled it, and you found, you've been on a Wikipedia page the whole time you've been, I've been talking. Um, so I've got two books for you here, uh, one of which you're intimidated by, and the other one you're like, I want the one in the right hand. Uh, so this is by a, my dad's favorite professor at Anderson University, Marie Strong. She's an amazing woman of God. Um, it formed a whole generation of pastors in the movement. Um, this, is pay, this book's only 90 pages, and it's got big type. So it's offer like five bucks, I think, on Amazon. It's a fantastic, fantastic book. It's called A Common Sense Approach to the Book of Revelation by Marie Strong. It's up there for you. Um, check it out. It's a very easy read. It'd be a great um, life group thing. If you, if you want to do Revelation, people are like, well, I want to talk about Revelations. Pick up this one. It's very simple and easy to grasp a hold of. Um, now this, it's a, you can weight lift with it. Uh, as well, this is Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. Now, this also comes in a version like this big, um, but this is the good one. <laughs> right? So the Systematic Theology book by Wayne Grudem. Now, Wayne Grudem disagrees with me about almost everything in the book. So I'm not telling you to go read this. But what he does is he presents um, different theology ideas in such a, a nice way. He's a brilliant man, brilliant seminary professor. But he presents it in, this is what the scripture says. And these are what different people think. And then at the end of the chapter, he offers uh, different questions of this is all millennials' response to a premillennial, a premillennial's response to a post uh, millennial. And it's, oh, I can read what everybody would say. It's this art in life that we've forgotten how to do, how to have a constructive conversation. Okay, I can disagree with you and still be friends, and we can still work on this. If you are interested in getting into the nitty gritty of that, I would love to email you that chapter. I'm not going to tell you to go buy the book or whatever like that. I will email you the chapter um, on on all this stuff, and it's about uh, I don't know, 20 pages that you can you can jump into. So this has got everything from Holy Spirit doctrine to creation to everything. So, um, but if you want connection card, Jared, send me the the chapter, um, send a note, post it note, whatever, uh, email me. I'd love to send that to you as well. Just because I want you. You don't have to take my word for all this stuff. I want you to explore it yourself. I want to give you the tools to explore it yourself. But if at the end of the day, can we agree that how we live our life is way more important than the mechanics of the end? And so if we are there, then we can speak into the lives of, of our brothers and sisters in Christ who think drastically different us than us because we're on the same team and we don't have to fight each other. And so my favorite uh, analogy is on theological issues is if we're eating a pizza or eating the pizza and the pizza is Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And as long as we're eating that pizza, we're going to be eating well. When the side issue comes, now we're just arguing about what dressing on the salad. It's not important. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. We're getting into that. Now people look at that pizza from all different kinds of vantage points. As long as we keep on looking at Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, we can eat well. Okay? Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this, this church. Thank you for the crazy responsibility you've given me in teaching and leading these people. Lord, I'm humbled by it, and I thank you for it. Lord, I ask you to bless us and guide us in all that we do. 
I, I ask you to be with us in our, our parties and our get-togethers and our, our, uh, our cookouts that we're getting ready to go to and that you would let us enjoy one another. Let us reflect on each other. Let us encourage one another. And if we have people in our, in our lives who had paid the ultimate price for this country, Lord, let us remember that and thank someone for that. Lord, we love you. And we praise your name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you all the days of your life. You are dismissed.